This is the Yay. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is the Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. <laughs> we have a fantastic guest, a fantastic actor, Nick Mandrakia. Hey, hey, what's <laughs> happening, guys? Thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. And uh, millennial actor, you are—you uh, just had your 25th birthday uh, this Thursday, right? I did. I'm—I am able to rent my own car now. It's <laughs> a wonderful feeling. Um, it's also one of those things. I woke up uh, early in the morning for work, and I looked at my emails, and there was one spam email that I looked at, and the uh, subject line was uh, "quarter life crisis." Don't worry about it. And I was like, that's a wonderful way to start it off. <laughs> Do you remember Norman when you were 25? I was 25. I think I had just moved to the Bay Area. Yeah. And and I was changing my life. I I'd been doing college. I was I finished up a community college, got my little AA degree, and I was like, okay, I'm not done with college, but I'm done with school right now. I'm done. And I'd been in LA, bouncing around and getting almost nothing. And I was like, okay, I'm going to put a theater on hold too. So when I moved up here, I moved up here with the expectation that all of that done, and not done, but maybe I was going to take a new path. Maybe my life, maybe I'd be one of those people who you go, oh yeah, back in high school I used to do theater, but yep. it was going to be all over. But instead, I picked up a job, I was working at a cafe, um, a friend, a friend of a friend, you know, somebody I knew from before I moved here, introduced me to somebody here at a party. Mm-hmm. The next week I get a phone call. Hey, um, a friend of mine is a playwright, and he needs a black actor. Mm-hmm. And are you available? So I went maybe eight months. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was like, "Well, if I'm going to be doing this theater thing, this might be this might take a little time." Right. So I should go ahead and get school done because that's a finite thing. So yeah, you know, within I was barely here two years before I was heading back to school and and doing theater in the theater scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I was 25, I remember it distinctly. I was working for a law firm, Jones Day, Reeves, and Pogue, and O.J. Simpson had just killed his uh, wife, allegedly. <laughs> right. That was 1994, and wow. the whole, I remember... Um, Wait a minute, wasn't he found innocent? Well, yeah. <laughs> and it was funny because uh, in the morning in D.C., I think, no, 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 I don't think it was 1 p.m. I forget when the chase, the supposed chase oh, happened. Chase. But it incredible. happened all through the day. Right. And I was like, well, I can't wait to get back home so I can find out the results of what happened with the OJ thing. Plus, the NBA Finals was happening. There was a lot of stuff happening in mm-hmm. June of 94. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, I'm trying to watch the NBA Finals with between the Knicks and the Houston Rockets. And, of course, it got interrupted because the chase was still going on. Well, mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, for God's sake. And it was just really, really crazy time. And that was, a, you had to have been, I don't know, two years old. I was two years old. <laughs> <laughs> crazy. <clears throat> amazing, amazing. So how, how's your week? I opened it up. Uh, how, how's, how's, how's Hamlet going? So this is the last weekend for you, for Hamlet. This is last weekend. I'm, I have to post. I finally took a screenshot of mm-hmm. our rehearsal because some people are in the South Bay, some people up here. So we Skype rehearsal, which is just a funny thing to do. Wow. <laughs> Skyping rehearsals. Cats passed through. Mm-hmm. I, I made a hot drink because I knew I had some time. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was just weird. Is it like a speed throw, a run throw? I mean, what can you do? It was just a line through. Got it. Okay. But, you know, instead of making everybody come to one space to do it, mm-hmm. you do it that way. Okay. Which is fine, but people's connections, like one person's connection, 
kept cutting out, which yeah. means you're not getting your cues. You're right. like, wait a minute, right. you say your line. So she finally turned off the video thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just a still picture of her. And, um, the, and the audio came And the through. audio yeah. came through. So you could still hear her, but you couldn't see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the king was like up on the screen. He was, you know, his face was like filling <laughs> the screen. Uh-huh. I'm sitting in a room where there's barely light on me. I realize after a while I'm a black guy and I'm sitting in shadow. This is not a good idea. I yeah. adjust the light. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then cats passed through. So yeah. everybody get Everybody who has cats had visits from their cats. Right. Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting uh, just how the new technology is affecting theater. Like, I always felt that instead of having scripts that people would just email us PDFs and we would just operate off of iPads or whatever. Oh, they are now. How do you think social media, Nick, is affecting, like, I know it affects scheduling. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, we'll get things via text messages and stuff like that. But Yeah, I think, um, <coughs> you know, Facebook is one of those things um, – it's not just the spectrum of what you're doing in your life, but in regards to like what your hobby actually is. Yeah. Um, and I think the the way Facebook does their um, events and invitations and things has really sparked um, a lot of the way people look at theater now. And yeah. they, they realize that, oh, my God, there's so many theater companies in, in the Bay Area, for instance. Yeah. Um, and work just gets sparked across so much. Like you have the theater groups yeah. um, that you join and just – from all different places of the Bay Area, yeah. um, sparks conversation about what theater they're doing. Um, it's it's really amazing to see the Bay Area community, regardless of how big it is already, yeah. um, start getting interested in the theater just based off of what they see, like based off of pictures or things that they see on social media and stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Twitter goes around. You know, a lot of theater companies are joining the Twitter realm. Yeah. They don't have uh, too many followers to start, but yeah. I think it's one of those things that are expanding really big just because of how many people yeah. use the technology <coughs> today. Yeah, I'm noticing a lot because a lot of these theater companies are run by older folks mm-hmm. who may need help, and so I think they're sort of slow in getting into, like, I remember Susan Evans was talking about, oh my God, I have to create a, a web page for, let's say, the Town Hall Theater. Right. But, you know, she has younger folks who can help out with that. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting seeing an older generation who's already involved in theater using social media, mm-hmm. using these new tools to mm-hmm. sort of grow theater. Yeah, and I think it's um, it, it's important, I think, especially for every um, Bay Area theater company to have. Um, I think some are starting to bring the title on to some folks, but yeah. um, like a social media marketing manager, yeah. like Slash, I think that's super important in today's realm of things because the way we get out to the theater is either looking online or hearing word of mouth. Right, right. Um, and using social media as that platform um, is definitely um, more useful than, you know, per se getting something in the mail um, or yeah. through email. I think, it's, I think it's really important. Yeah, I think the whole idea of the email mailing list may be uh, sort of dying out. I mean, if I get anything via email. I do, but, yeah, it's, it's not a prominent mm-hmm. thing anymore. Yeah, because yeah, there are some theater companies that have, you know, the clipboard with the paper, and it's like uh, sign up here if you want right. um, email notifications and things, and then they do it some other way. They, they give you like a survey to fill out, um, yeah. and those don't necessarily get filled out all the time, mm-hmm. whereas word of mouth through social media, if you're like um, sign up here and get, you know, exclusive offers on something yeah. or um, sneak peeks on auditions, a right. lot more people who are in – the Facebook realm of things or social media will get that more than mm-hmm. um, really physicalizing right. signing up an email for it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think that that's going to be the newest, the latest trend. Mm-hmm. Um, do you notice, Norman, with uh, the um, the Arabian Shakespeare Company, are they using a lot of social media? I, I would have to be more. 
connected to social media. <laughs> no, I, I mean, they're, they're, they're using Facebook, I think, yeah. fairly well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's if, if you're not Twitter, if you're not Instagram, if you're not using those other – because there are people who, especially young people, who don't – who Instagram they're comfortable with and they're happy with and they'll use that. Facebook they don't really want to use. Yeah, I keep on forgetting that Facebook is an old thing, which is sort of kind of crazy to me. Right. I mean, I, I still use it to connect original. with family and friends, yeah. So I don't know what the latest or the newest thing. I'm sure Zuckerberg is very upset about that. <laughs> yeah, and it's really interesting to see where Facebook came from because when it first came out, it was meant to be kind of like a LinkedIn kind of thing. It was meant to be like a business platform. Yeah. Until people started to realize because MySpace was the biggest thing. That's right. I remember that. With friends and yeah. family. I know that was a long time ago yeah. where you could customize your profile and you could have like music playlists going on and all these things. Yeah. Right? And like all of your friends thought it was the coolest thing in the world, and then right. that sparked. MySpace to be as big as it was. Yeah. When Facebook came out, it was more of like this business platform so that you could connect with coworkers and things. Right. But it's really interesting to see in a very short period of time yeah. that you could also connect with <coughs> uh, friends and family. And then right. from there, it just went a completely different direction, which I think Zuckerberg looked at and went, okay, well, if we want to be the number one company in the world, yeah. we have to follow essentially what people are thinking in today's realm of, of, yeah. of yeah. talking and speaking and communicating. It's like attaching a horse to a cart, and you want the horse to go that way, but it went another way. <laughs> oh, totally. But it's fine because, you know, it's helped them grow. Right. But just like what you're saying, young people don't look at Facebook as the latest thing now. Right. I'm not even sure what the latest thing now. I don't know if it's Pinterest or if it's um, Snapchat or – right. Yeah, it's it's the the broad spectrum of social media itself. I think is the biggest thing, regardless mm -hmm. of if it's one or the other. I think, you know, when you when you when you have a smartphone, essentially, yeah. um, the apps that you're looking at, you have all of them. Yeah. But it's up to the individual to select what they <coughs> usually right. use in a day more than the others. Right. right. But they, you know, they pretty much have all the access. Yeah. To all the apps for social media, right in the palm of their hands. Yeah. Like like your son Norman, um, does he does he use his phone? Does he use his laptop? I mean, not laptop. He, or he uses a pad and yeah. he uses his phone and he uses them all. So he facetimes with people, like for doing homework, for yeah. example. Um, but then he'll be playing a game or watching a video on another device mm -hmm. at the same time. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I try not to look in that room more than I do. <laughs> As long as it gets his homework done, I mean, you know, uh, I guess it's fine. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think somebody is going to make some money at some point because it's going to take people like that and say, so we've got this fantastic way for you to get your homework done in less than half the time. We're going to unplug you from everything. Uh, you can listen to music if you want, but you cannot change. Like, you have, you can set a playlist and don't touch it. Mm -hmm. Do not touch any other device. Just focus on getting this homework done. And somebody's going to find the right way to market that, and it's going to go. It's going to be huge. Mm -hmm. And all you're really saying is stop distracting yourself with all these multiple things. Sure, sure. Yeah, and it's one thing that's really <coughs> interesting. Um, there's um, a city, Los Gatos, mm -hmm. uh, further south. Um, there's a specific school district that allowed um, some or at least most of their schools to have um, a new Mac computer. Yeah. Um, for every single student, mm -hmm. like where they're stationed at. And it's really interesting to see, um, or it would be really interesting to see the dynamic of how you get to learn mm -hmm. if you have a new computer right in front of you or if you didn't. Um, yeah. 
I know when we were learning, we had, you know, the old school computers, and there were only specific programs that you could go to, and they blocked off the internet and things right, like that. Right, right, right. Um, so it would be a really interesting dynamic to see um, the difference between having a brand new computer mm. with, um, with all of the access to the newer things that we have today, <coughs> mm-hmm. um, how that affects a child's learning. Yeah, compared to what it was back in the day, that's pretty risky because uh, giving a, giving a child a new computer and hoping that they'll take care of it, mm-hmm. um, you know, we'll see how that works. Also, I've heard that a lot of uh, the younger generation they just don't use laptops at all. Mm-hmm. It's like old right. things, like they do everything on their phones, which yeah. is an odd thing. I mean, do you use your laptop or desktop? Um, I yeah, I, I I found out when I got into college, um, it was really useful in regards to just um, you know writing essays or keeping files and documents for certain classes. Um, I find that really really useful, especially when you know the the classes that you take and the certain amount of hours that you have. Mm-hmm. When you fit that time in between to either go to the library or you know you can uh, sit by yourself and, and get some homework done. I found it really useful um, to have my laptop on me just in case I needed to do some research and mm-hmm. things. Um, which is why I say it's interesting for for children who have access to that now to see what they mm-hmm. what they tend to do with it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hope I hope, stu- I hope uh, schools trust children more mm-hmm. in, in these things, and you know, well, if, if I, they I hope somebody is analyzing, researching, <coughs> and analyzing what's useful and, and taking advantage of it because they have had prohibitions on phones in classes, but it happens. You hear the stories over and over again. Some teacher asks a question, and it's really a we want the information kind of question, not we want you to think kind of question. Right. And some kid will snatch their phone out and look it up, and before the teacher can object or anything, <laughs> here's the answer. Boom. Boom. Got it. Yep. Yeah. Let's move on. Because you can ask Siri, you can ask Alexa, but I do hope that students learn, not just because when I, you know, when you and I were going to school, a lot of it was, okay, which is it? Is it an answer A, B, or C? Right. Um, but we still have to have some critical thinking as to, like, why. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when it comes to, um, like, politics, like U.S. politics or whatever. You can say, who was the 13th president? Millard Fillmore. Right. That's a, that's how, did a he get, how did he get elected, and what were the thoughts of going, of going on? What were the issues at the time? Mm-hmm. Tell me about the, the Fugitive Slave Act mm-hmm. and have them. Of course, you can look it up. But can you apply critical thinking to it? Right, right. So, well, they are, they're making those adjustments. So we'll see. I think things will just keep changing. I mean, you mentioned that multiple choice thing. I remember that was such a big deal. Multiple choice test, mm-hmm. which very quickly became this is ridiculous because all kids are doing is guessing. Right, right. So you <coughs> always, you know, for every advance, you've got to deal with the new problems that come. Yeah, out. it's the same thing like when they got rid of cursive. Um, because they used to teach it, you know, back in elementary school. I didn't know that. They got rid of they cursive, got rid of, They got rid of teaching cursive. Interesting. Um, for elementary school. Did you know this? I keep seeing stories about whether or not they want to bring it back. Uh, yeah, so I I was learn, I was taught cursive um, second grade. Yeah. Um, and that used to be a regular thing. You know, they right. had um, – they gave you sheets, and they gave you the regular yeah. um, letter, and they gave you the one in cursive. Was it the, the big, like – 11 by 17 green sheets yeah. with mm-hmm. the great big lines. Okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> and so when they got rid of it, um, you know, it kind of made sense. The The technological advance that we've had has been right. so tremendous. At the same time, it made me realize that no matter what you're signing, it's all going to be done electronically. Mm-hmm. So they're never going to know what they're actually looking at or, like, what kind of style of writing this is yeah. right. just because they weren't taught it. So right. Interesting. Penmanship. I guess penmanship, I would think that, oh, it's an important thing, but I can't think of why it's important. No, no not yeah. unless you're writing 
what's funny because I do I also model a lot for art classes, mm-hmm. and one of the basic lessons is get away from like whatever your medium is, whatever it is you're working in. Don't hold it like a pen or a pencil. Hold, flip it, and hold it the other way. Hmm. Um, because now you have to use your arm to work. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you held it like a pen, you do like you're writing. Yeah. And it affects it affects what you're doing on the page, but it also affects the way you think. Very true. Yeah, I guess so. I didn't think of it that way. Because you have to, I guess, focus more, or you have to use your body. Because you know, you well, can just the use other the yeah. other thing that they have to teach beginners is don't watch your hand. Hmm. If I'm drawing that flag on the wall, then I need to look at the flag mm-hmm. and trust that the information is going to my hand and I can do that the way it is all the time. You don't watch your hands do when you eat. You don't watch your hand as you eat. Yeah, right. You yeah. know, half the time we don't even look at our food anymore because we know the process of it, and that's mm-hmm. what they're trying to teach yeah. art students is. The process means pay attention to the thing that you are trying to represent, that you're trying to capture. Yeah. Keep your focus on that mm-hmm. and learn how to let that be mm-hmm. realized on, a, on the page. Yeah. Very yeah. true. I guess if you look at it too technically, you're you're avoiding what should actually be right in front of you. Yeah. And the, the image that you're trying to create and the, the reason behind it all. Well, you're looking at the result, which is what you've got on the page, right. instead of staying focused on the thing you're trying to capture. So you should be checking your page every now and then, right. not checking the model every now and then. The yeah. model should be your main focus, and what's on the page, yeah. you should just be seeing it. Yeah, I got that. And you learn the skill, and that's what ends up happening with the students. Yeah. They eventually learn to stop watching their hand yeah. right, and keep their eye focused on whatever the subject is. Right. Mm. It's funny you were t- uh, talking about that. I was out. Uh, I went on a YouTube binge, uh, you know, one of the very few times we weren't rehearsing. Mm-hmm. Nick and I are in uh, Civil War Christmas. And um, they had a, a documentary on Francis Bacon, not Sir Francis Bacon, but Francis Bacon, the existentialist um, oh. painter mm-hmm. uh, who learned from Picasso. Uh, had a very uh, tumultuous life, but he would draw these uh, paintings about, like, popes screaming and uh, just mm-hmm. very abstract. And the whole idea was painting, I guess – so realism, I guess, it deals with your dreams, trying to visualize your dreams mm-hmm. and trying to paint on a pure abstract level. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting watching that. Let's get into current events. So um, <laughs> we have uh, Roy Moore, who is uh, running for the Alabama Senate, and uh, I, was, I was talking off mic. I didn't even think about the person who was running against. There's the Democratic guy. Right. Um, well, I heard his name. But it's Doug so, Jones. Doug Jones. It's such a, you know, uh, yeah, a random name. So I did some research. Actually, I was listening to the Nerdcast, which is a wonderful podcast. Don't just listen to the Yay, but also listen to the Nerdcast. There are lots of wonderful podcasts out there. And so the history of Doug Jones. Uh, so you may have heard about the 16th Street bombing, uh, 16th Street Church bombing, which happened in 1964. So it's a critical moment in civil rights history where the Klan, in trying to stop the civil rights movement, bombed a church. Four girls were killed. Spike Lee even did a movie right, about it. Yeah. So, uh, Doug. Um, so years later, um, Doug. Uh, what's the guy's Jones. name? Jones. Doug Jones prosecuted uh, the Klan as a result of it and got a conviction, mm-hmm. which is a wonderful thing. Right. He is the Democrat candidate running against Roy Moore. And the question we brought up was, well, why? Do, why aren't we hearing this? Why is this being used? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then came up with our own answer, which is, it's Alabama. It's Alabama. Alabama. It's in this, it, yeah, and it's unfortunately, 
the citizens of Alabama would rather have a guy who wants to have sex with 13, 14-year-old girls than someone who successfully prosecuted the Klan mm-hmm. uh, right. in this very critical civil rights movement case. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, when I think about politics and Congress and, you know, and why the Republicans are back or whatever, it very quickly gets away from logic. It's, a, it's almost a spiritual, cultural thing, mm-hmm. a cultural clash. And, Nick, you and I, we've been focusing on that with Civil War Christmas. Yeah. You know, um, you know and, and you would think, well, these clashes, I mean, with, the, you know, the Civil War 1864, that was back 100-some-odd years ago. Well, yeah. That doesn't apply now. But, unfortunately, it in certain does. parts, it, it still does. Right. The fact that we're seeing these controversies now means, oh, wow, we never did really resolve these issues. Right. A lot of the issues, yeah. And I think it's a whole thing that um, Colin Kaepernick was trying to do. You oh, know, yeah, that's the right. The whole thing with his, with his protest, it was – He's trying to show the the fight for for racial injustice, and it's very easy for a lot of people to look at that and just go, oh, well, he was disrespecting soldiers, he was disrespecting the flag, without looking at the actual facts of what right. happened. Um, the um, the army veteran that he had met before right. this, uh, yeah, Marine, uh, yeah he, yeah. Had, he had <coughs> talked to him, and a lot of people forget about this. Kaepernick met up with him. Because he was just sitting on the bench at yeah, that point. Yeah, and he had a meeting and is um, like, what is the most appropriate way um, to show that I am against this belief of that there's, you know, everybody's equal when it really isn't? Right. And the Marine essentially told him, well, you should take a knee instead of sitting on the bench. I think it'll create – Because that's what we do for our fallen comrades. Right, exactly. That, and it'll create more awareness for what is actually wow, the problem. Wow, I didn't know that, yeah. Yeah, so a lot of people tend to forget that that is actually what conspired before he was actually doing it. And right. mind you, there were players who had done it before Right. he had done it as well. Right. It wasn't right. until the media in today's world made it such a bigger thing right. yeah. that – completely took a turn for the worse, which right. is why the NFL is going through so many problems of this. Yeah. Um, instead of fighting for what is actually yeah. to be spoken about. It, it's it's right. sort of controlling the narrative. It's almost like controlling That's the proverbial exactly football. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, you, and today, this week, Jerry Jones is fighting against Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell, to his credit, basically says, listen, we may not like what Colin Kaepernick is doing, but we're not going to write a new law preventing NFL players from speaking their minds. We're going to allow that to happen. And Jerry Jones, as a result of that, plus also the Ezekiel Elliott suspension, mm-hmm. which he finally is being suspended. Yes. He basically, just like that's another narrative that's going on, mm-hmm. men behaving badly towards women. Right. Ezekiel Elliott was accused um, of, um, I think, domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the NFL tried to punish him. Then he received an injunction. I, um, I forget. It's a um, – Basically a stay, a stay of injunction. Uh-huh. Then the injunction was on. Then there was a stay of injunction. Basically the NFL Players Association protecting Ezekiel right. Elliott. They filed the restraining orders <coughs> that they got at least one point in time after the injunction. Right. It was just a back-and-forth battle. So now he is going to serve it. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he's, the fight is over. He's going to serve it. Mm-hmm. But Jerry is pissed off at that. Plus he's been telling Roger Goodell, hey, punish these players for taking the knee. Uh-huh. It's disrespectful, blah, blah, blah. And Goodell's like, no, I'm not going to do it. So now he wants to get Goodell fired. Right. He wants mm-hmm. to get get rid of him. And the play and the owners are like, hey, Jerry, you know, you need to back off. Well, they so filed the, the first time we've heard that. Yeah, yeah. they filed the season desist order, I believe, right. against against Jerry Jones for right. the, the comments that he has made yeah. and the approaches that he's taken yeah. toward this. But it's all about the narrative. It's all about right. who has the mic, who's controlling the mic. Right. Mm-hmm. And in this 24-7 news plus social media, mm-hmm. that's a battle that's been going on. Like, you know, if you listen to – 
Roy Moore's wife, who just did a right. press conference yesterday, oh, no, this isn't about my husband. This is about the, the, the liberals trying to control what we Alabamans want to do, and we want to so serve of course, God. these and women are not liberals who are coming out and speaking. So. Right, right. Right, and it's for the fact <coughs> of the people. It's not leaning towards one party or another. It's mm-hmm. the fact that this is wrong. This shouldn't be done in right. our country, which we right. believe – has the opportunity for everything in this world that is good. Right. Um, and we're just trying to steer in that direction. It's not a matter of, you know, trying to sabotage one party or the other. We're all just trying well, to get along. Yeah, we are the definitely trying to sabotage the party. There's <laughs> yeah, no but, question. Well, it's, it's both ways. It, it, it really it is both, both ways. ways. It's, more about, it's more about just bringing the people together and realizing what the problems are so that we right. as a community yeah. and a country can solve those together. Right. If you're interested in solving those, I mean, you know, if you talk to an Alabaman who was a Republican, they may be like, hey, there is no problem. You right. know, mm-hmm. leave us alone. Mm-hmm. It's almost like states' rights versus the federal government, the big bad federal government telling us what to do, mm-hmm. which is also parallel to the Civil War. I mean, not that I'm trying to steer it to, you know, what we're doing, but mm-hmm. it's interesting. It how stays relevant. It yeah. stays relevant. I mean, <clears throat> you think that we've resolved these things 100 years ago, but it still happens. Right. No, that's uh, – there's another program that um, – that I used to listen to called Left, Right, and Center. It's yeah. on, um, here it's on KALW mm-hmm. on the radio. Yeah. Um, but it comes out of L.A. Um, and they changed their format after the election last year mm-hmm. to an hour-long format. Mm-hmm. And they were a half-hour show. And it was fun because half-hour, left, right, and center, they would have some pretty mm-hmm. good representation. Mm-hmm. At one point, they actually had somebody on from Breitbart. Mm-hmm. And I, that did not last very long. I'm pretty sure... <laughs> Yeah. Listeners were like, oh, hell no. Right. But um, but they still managed to get, and it was always an interesting and usually fairly civil discourse. Right. Um, they expanded to an hour, and I really didn't like the new format at all. Mm-hmm. But I listened to last week's yeah. um, uh, program yesterday. Yeah. And I was pleasantly surprised. For one thing, they did the parody thing that we'll talk more about, I think, mm-hmm. um, gender parody, where they got more women on as part of the conversation. So when the women are talking about things like this Roy Moore thing, yeah, um, that's different. And the Franken, and it's funny because both the women who come from different political stripes were able to have a very nice conversation saying, yeah, there's a big difference between a guy who just did some inappropriate behavior and a guy who is stalking teenage girls. Yeah, perpetually. Not just yeah. one, but a bunch. Yeah. Right. So and the, even the one who was trying to differentiate herself a little bit said, well, so what we have to see is if other women are going to come forward and say something like this about Franken. Right. But even if we do, the difference between um, rehearsing – we are actors – rehearsing yeah. a skit. Oh, my gosh. When I was a young actor, I thought, oh, God, I'm going to have to get to these women. That's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. Until you're actually in the position right. where it's like, oh, crap. Right. Um, I have to kiss you because the script requires me to kiss you. Right. But I have to deal with you right. off stage. Yeah. If I'm not appropriate on stage, right. there's no chance of us having any kind of relationship off stage. Right. Um, and so suddenly that becomes a no, that's not a fun thing. That's like stage combat. Now yeah. we've got to be very specific and careful. Right, right, and, right. You know, to understand that took a maturation process. Right. I had to learn. But we want to differentiate these things. And they, so they did a wonderful job of sort of mm-hmm. discussing it. But just having women in the conversation was huge. And they were saying there's also just in legal terms, mm-hmm. the difference between these things. And let's talk about that. So if Franken is censured and they take whatever action against him that they could reasonably take, mm-hmm. 
to talk about Roy Moore or anybody else like that, we would have to take, you know, a proportionally much more severe step against him mm-hmm. in response because Franken yeah. didn't rape somebody. That's, that's if all is, is fair in Congress, which, right. of course, it isn't it because, is. you know, they're, they're using that as a political football, and, of course, Trump is now talking against Franken. And you're absolutely right. I mean, this is one isolated incident that Franken – and Franken himself said, listen – you know, do an audit on me. I mean, do an investigation on me. Right. You know, search me out, which, which is fine. And not only that, but mm-hmm. I've made – I'm a comedian. Um, like a lot of comedians in my earlier career, mm-hmm. I tried a bunch of things out. I pushed the edge. And yeah. some things I found out, I figured out later or somebody responded to me and let me know it was inappropriate. And I don't do that anymore. And mm-hmm. I apologize for it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry it happened. Yeah. So he's owning it and he's apologizing. Right. The woman has accepted yeah. his apology. Yeah. And what would you charge him with? Yeah. But and that's an interesting narrative. What is the proper response? We've heard from Louis C.K. We've heard from uh, Kevin uh, Bacon. No, I'm sorry, Stacey. not Kevin Bacon. Kevin Stacy. Ooh, yeah. Don't, don't, don't mess up that man's name. Spacey. Spacey, I'm sorry. And, um, you know, you've had either denial or, yeah, I did it, but, you know, it was just one time, and, you know, that's really not me. And, hey, I've got a serious problem. I'm going to deal with it, and I'm, I'm really, really sorry. Yeah, yes. you make me want to make a new game, Six <laughs> Degrees of Kevin Spacey. <laughs> <laughs> right. And also the game, Who's Next? Because every week there's somebody, there's somebody. Well, and I think we're at that point. So I, I haven't done it because I've been running around with – I've worked a lot. I did a lot of modeling this week. Yeah. Getting things together, and we'll get to shout-outs at the end. Sure. Um, I've got another project coming. But I've been wanting to sit down on Facebook and try to make a thoughtful comment mm-hmm. on this. Because yes. it's ironic that you can no longer say me too without going, oh, um, I wasn't referencing that, but okay, yeah, now now that, that conversation is started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what I want to say is I really want to kind of put it out there and say, you know what? If you're a woman who knows me yeah. and I have ever done something inappropriate, I give you full permission. Ooh, how do I say this? I'm on alert. I, yeah. I give you full permission to – Call me out on it. Yeah. To you know, to make whatever charge you want to make, I will do my best to own it. Mm-hmm. If for some reason I don't remember or I don't agree <coughs> with you, I will try to, in a respectful way, respond. Mm-hmm. But I think we're at this point because with the Franken thing, that's what made me think about this. Okay, he did something that there's no way even he admits is wrong. Right. So let's not excuse it and let's not dismiss it. Yeah. But let's appropriately respond to it. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to hit him, boy, we're going to have to hit everybody. Are we going to go through Congress and the Senate? <laughs> Serious, and hit right. All of them? Right. Yeah. I would love that. And I love the way <coughs> that my friend said, well, he has to step down. And, and the governor should, um, you know, the governor gets to choose a replacement yeah. and he should choose a woman. And I said, I do not agree that he has to step down. But. Mm-hmm. If that were the solution, yeah. I would totally agree with that because I would love to see the Senate because that would mean our Senate and our Congress would suddenly be 50% women easily. Yeah, yeah, Very I think cool. so. And you heard uh, Kristen Gilbrand, he, she started attacking, she started attacking, I think, Clinton. Or she basically was saying, hey, listen, you know, this goes beyond the Republican Party, goes with everyone, and right. look at what Bill Clinton did back in the 90s. And All right. So I think. It may not have. I mean, it may be one of these uh, just uh, spontaneous things where just women just you know come right. out, and which is you know we started talking earlier about social media. This is another byproduct of social media. Right. Everyone has a microphone and everyone can speak out. Right. Which is a wonderful thing. I also wanted to touch on um, 
being in the theater and working and dealing and working with people and dealing with intimacy. And I've dealt with it twice. We've right. talked about statements, and I worked with Lorraine, right. where both of us were naked on stage. And Chuck, uh, Chuck Polly, the late Chuck Polly, was very careful in talking to all of us and us being careful with each other and, you know, always communicating and connecting, making sure that we weren't being inappropriate or whatever. There was a point where I felt that my character, this is the April Fool God from Statements, um, where I have a relationship as a black man, a South African black man in the 60s with a white woman. And I wanted my character to be a little more affectionate uh, because I felt I'm a younger black man and I'm excited about this relationship with a white woman. And Lorraine felt uncomfortable and she told me, and I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll back off, which is fine. Right. That's the that's the call and effect where you know she's she's mentions her, that she's just uncomfortable. Right. I say okay, I'll make an adjustment, and it's like okay, great, thank you right. for making the adjustment. Now right. we can move forward, mm-hmm. and so that's important. Also, I did one ten in the shade where I had to work with a young actress who had just come out of uh, college, and I was an older guy now. Now I'm in now I'm in my forties and, and such, and we didn't have that great connection. And I remember you saw it, and I asked you, Norman, and hey, what'd you think? And you immediately told me. You know, the, the connection just wasn't there on stage. And uh, it's just one of those things where you think, okay, I'm going to turn it on when I walk on stage. It just doesn't work that way. Right. So there's something to be said about making sure the connection is there and taking for granted that the connection isn't there. You always have to connect to communicate. Nick, have you ever had to deal with uh, dealing with, I don't know, intimacy on stage? Um, not, to the, not to the extent of where I've had to worry about um, if I was uh, coming on in a certain way that was really uncomfortable, you know, typically when you look at when you look at a script and you see that there's a scene that involves you know a kiss or something a little more intimate, um, mm-hmm. whether you're laying in the bed or whatever it may be, yeah, um, I think it's always important, like you said, communication is is always a key factor in it. When you find out who you're doing the scene with, yeah, I think it's always important to establish. Um, how you, how you both feel about it um, mm-hmm. when you look into it, and when you're when you're in rehearsal and you're in that scene where the director is, you know, this is this is the moment where this happens. Um, I think it's important also for a director to ask, you know, his or her actors, how do you feel about it? I think that that conversation is number one before you get into anything. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, and I think it, it's just it's checking. I, I don't say constantly, but um, every now and then, I think it is important to say, is this is this still okay? Are you okay with it? Are you feeling any different in mm-hmm. any sort of way? Yeah. Um, but luckily for me, I haven't had to deal with anything that was that was so intimate that it truly needed to be talked about. My scene partners, they look at it and it's like, oh, it's just a kiss. I'm totally cool with it. And as long as I am as well, mm-hmm. we just go on with it, we move on, and we do the show, and then it's done. Yeah. Um, but always be attentive to listen. Um, when there's someone who's uncomfortable with something, especially if it's not you. Even if you're okay with it, yeah. always make sure that your scene partner is okay with it as well. Yeah, and one of the reasons why I brought you on, Nick, is because uh, just you know the, the short time that I've worked with you, and also you and I were both if involved in the musical cafe where right. you uh, oh. were in Pickpocket yeah. well, and did an right. amazing job. Thank you. And you have an, just a wonderful personality. I mean, I think uh, just – when we talk about communication, you have no problem just expressing yourself right. and, and really just throwing yourself into 
uh, the character and the role, and, and I, I just noticed that people really gravitate themselves around you. I appreciate which, it very yeah. much. No, it's true. So let's get into an origin story. How did you get into yes. theater? Oh, that, okay. Um, well, it's funny. I I was a sports fanatic. Uh, mm-hmm. Sports was always my, my go-to growing up as a kid. Um, played soccer for years, and um, I was in middle school, um, and I had just uh, tried out for the wrestling team. Mm-hmm. At the same time, um, I had an audition that night for A Christmas Carol, oh. um, and it was my uh, language arts teacher who was holding yeah. the audition. How old were you? Um, I was 13. Okay. Um, and I was in seventh grade, and I remember I walked in, and there was there was a, an eighth grader who looked so much more mature than I was, and mm-hmm. he was a lot bigger than I was, and he was in the same room, mm-hmm. and he was reading for Scrooge. And at the time, I didn't know anything about A Christmas Carol. I was mm-hmm. like, I don't know who the characters are, and so he asked my language arts teacher, like, who's the most important character in the show? Well, Tiny Tim. <laughs> exactly. With two, you know, kids who are already you know, six foot tall. Right. <laughs> um, and so she said, you know, Scrooge is, is the main character of the show, and she started getting into character description. And I was like, ah, it, it sounds intriguing, but I don't, I don't know if I could do it. Like, I'm looking at someone who's reading it perfectly and going, well, he should probably get it. He's probably going to get it anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had read a scene, and she was like, okay, that's all I need. And that was that. The next day, um, I had found out that I was offered to be captain of the wrestling team. Um, oh. As a seventh grader, which was mm-hmm. a huge deal, right. um, and right as I was about to accept, um, I got a call from my language arts teacher and said, "Hey, we we want you to be our Scrooge, the the one that we had, who eventually was the guy that I looked up to. Mm-hmm. Um, he couldn't do it, hmm. and so she called and said, we 'We'd like you to be Scrooge.'" And I came back home and I told my dad, and I was like, "Okay, so I got the main character to play." Um, and I'm also captain of the wrestling team. What should I do? Um, at the time, I had recently just gotten over a nose surgery mm-hmm. that I broke playing soccer. And my dad said, well, I think the more important thing for you to do is worry about your safety. Worry about what's going to be best for you in yeah. the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, and I looked at it and went, as much as I would love to do wrestling, yeah. and, like it was all sports and I'm like the top dog of the school. I think what's best for me is to do this play just because it's safer. And yeah. I'm the main character, and I've yeah. always been one to, like, love the attention. Love yeah. to be looked at and, you know, all those. Now, did you grow up in here in the Bay Area? Yeah, I was uh, born in San Jose. Okay. Born and raised. Um, grandparents and my father were born in New York, and right when my dad was born, they moved over to California. Okay. Because uh, big family. There's um, three sons. Grandma and grandpa, they were all living in an apartment in New York. They're yeah. like, now we got to move over. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, my grandparents have been staying in the same house for 50-plus years. Wow. Um, yeah. And, yeah, just, I love the Bay Area. I <laughs> yeah. love it. And San Jose was is, is the hometown for me. Yeah. I can probably drive through it yeah. blindfolded if I wanted now, to. Now, are your grandfolks still in New York? Uh, no. We're no, they're here. here. Yep. Okay. Still in the Bay Area. Okay, got it. Um, so, yeah, I took, um, I took a break after Christmas Carol. Because um, when I got into high school, it was always about the sports. It was mm-hmm. always about, um, you know, being on the football team. And, and I was still doing soccer at the time. So mm-hmm. my freshman and sophomore year, um, I had stopped mm-hmm. um, doing theater. And then my junior year, there was this fabulous, fabulous play called The Laramie Project. Um, oh, I think I heard about that, yeah. Yeah, it's the wonderful story of the um, – yeah, Matthew Shepard and the, the, the gay hate crimes that were right, going on right, at the time. Right, 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 um, right. And I remember watching the documentary in class because we were watching 
it before we had auditions for it. And, you know, after taking a, a three-year hiatus from theater, I watched it and went, oh, my God, this is so important, and it's so well acted. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Buscemi was one of the main characters, and I remember looking up to him and just going, oh, my God, he's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I had auditioned for the show, and I, and I got in and played, you know, multiple people. And the one that stood out to me the most was uh, Matthew Shepard's father, who has the big speech as he's in court. Yeah. Um, and I remember just reading it and crying through it and going, this is so beautiful. Yeah. Um, the musical that we did that year was Annie. Mm-hmm. And I had never seen Annie before. We watched it and was looking at Daddy Warbucks and was like, oh, my God, I would love to be him because he gets to sing and he's you know, the most important <laughs> man in the city. Right. Um, and my drama teacher jokingly said, well, if you want to play that role, you're going to have to shave your head. And I was like, ha, I'll never do that. Uh-huh. Sure enough, I auditioned. I had never sang before. Yeah. Um, had sang and was offered Warbucks after callbacks. And I had accepted and thought to my head, oh, my God, I'm probably actually going to have to shave my head because, sure enough, we tried a bald cap. Yeah. But I have such dark hair yeah. that the hair was just sticking right to the bald <laughs> cap. And right. I was like, "There's, I don't think I have another option but to shave my head. Yeah. And I think it was at that moment that I realized if I'm willing to shave my head, you know, regardless of how – people look at me, yeah. whether it be on the football team, whether it just be high school students yeah. or anybody for that matter. Yeah. If I'm willing to do this for what I love to do, yeah. which is just to be on stage and perform in front of, you know, however many people, um, then I'm going to do it. Yeah. And sure enough, I did it. And I remember the first rehearsal I had without any hair was the scene where he walks in to his staff, you know, Grace is doing yeah. this whole number and she's like, oh, we're going to get you this and this and this. And then Warbucks comes in. Mm-hmm. And I had the top hat on, and nobody realized that I had completely shaven. Yeah. And sure enough, I'm in the scene, and I take off my hat, and it's just, you hear gasps, <laughs> and then there's just <laughs> silence. Yeah. So we stopped the rehearsal for a little bit, and I just got a huge applause from everybody for like, wow. oh, my God, you actually – I know, crazy. <clears throat> Well, dedication. You're, dedi- you're dedicated to it. Exactly. And from there, I, you know, when I got to college, my first college show was also the Laramie Project. Yeah. Um, Where'd you go? Uh, Foothill. Okay. So. Did you Did you study theater? Yeah, they have a. Um, they have a. They don't have it anymore, unfortunately, because you know, college and the arts it's it's a tough subject to talk about because they. It's, it's been a recurring theme in our uh, – every time we ask someone, usually they've either went to college where they didn't have an arts um, uh, arts major, mm-hmm. but they went, wound up doing so. Or there was a drama major, which and got defunded. Right. right. So it was the it was known as the Foothill Theater Conservatory. Yeah. Um, and it was a two-year program where you take and you would get some general education done at the same time, um, taking all of these classes towards, you know, acting and singing and many voice production and things like that. Um, so I was able to do the full two years there. Um, and from there, had just been traveling all over the Bay Area. And did, did you study with Al Brown? Um, no. Uh, Tom Goff and oh, uh, okay. Janice Bergman mm-hmm. were the two uh, main professors that were running the conservatory. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, loved my time there. And it, it, I credit them for a lot of what has conspired today. Um, and after that, I just found a passion to go and audition, to go travel the Bay Area, mm-hmm. see all of the many different theater companies, of course, yeah. and continue to do what I love. 
Yeah, you've been involved in a lot, and I've mentioned the Musical Cafe. There's also the Town Hall Theater, but uh, what other companies have you been working with? Um, the most recent one before uh, Musical Cafe uh, was Murray and Shakespeare. Um, and oh, I, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Three Musketeers. Nice. I uh, was playing Rochefort, um, and Robert Pickett oh. was a director. Yeah, mm-hmm. so um, to come from San Jose, um, I, I knew it was important to check out, you know, the North Bay and the East Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, they have so much opportunity. Right. And if I said, if this is what I want to craft as my career, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to travel. There's no, there's no other way around it. Right. Yeah. Um, Started making the drive. My first show in the city was at the New Conservatory Theater Center back in oh, 2015. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had realized, like, it's not actually that bad of a drive, so I'm going to continue to do it. Um, and for the last two years, I mean, it's been Marin, it's been San Francisco, it's been Lafayette, it's been Oakland. And I really haven't minded going that far, even if I live wow. in San Jose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being stuck in traffic, everybody can complain about it. But mm-hmm. if it's for what I love doing, then I'm, I'm going to do it. And especially if this is something that I want to continue to do for years, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to be willing to do that. Um, but, God, it's it's made me meet so many people who I can keep in touch with and, and continue to go out mm-hmm. and, and hope to find success in the North Bay and the East Bay, wherever it may be. Um, it's been it's been really fun the last couple of years to explore new places that I haven't been to as often. Right. Yeah. Um, How are you liking theater down in the South Bay? Um, you How know, are you finding theater? I shouldn't I shouldn't say liking as a as a loaded term. Yeah, it, it's the companies tough. down there. Are you finding that you're able to get in the door? Yeah, um, City Lights Theater Company in downtown San Jose mm-hmm. um, has kind of um, welcomed me as like um, what I would say a resident artist. I've done nice. quite a few shows with them. Um, and I just love love the family that they have there. Um, one thing that I would actually like to talk about, um, and I would love to get your guys' opinion on it, mm-hmm. um, is um, the way the Theater Bay Area Awards are set up. Um, <laughs> we, we've been dodging I, I, this I topic promise, for about three minutes. I promise I did, not, I did not pay him to say that. <laughs> no, I, I, we've, been, we've been saying that we would talk about it. This is a great time to talk oh, about it. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Okay, so... When you ask about how South Bay Theater is, um, sure there are um, companies that are there, right. and some are very well established. Yes. Um, I, I think one of the problems is is I don't want to just believe that there just aren't enough adjudicators in the South Bay. Um, I would like to think that in the Theater Bay Area realm of things, every single theater company that's affiliated with Theater Bay Area mm-hmm. should at least be recognized in some sort of shape or form. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, San Francisco Bay Area Theater Critics Awards have their own um, specific awards for just the area of San Francisco, and they classify the East Bay as well. Right. And it was one interesting thing. We were talking about numbers before, mm-hmm. um, and I had looked at um, how many theater companies were nominated for things in both. We have the South Bay, we have the East, and we have the North. Right. For San Francisco, they, they consider the peninsula to be its own thing, and then they have the South Bay beyond that. Right. Um, I would say in, like, an estimation in regards to San Francisco and uh, East Bay, there was a total of, I don't know, 170 nominations for uh-huh. theater companies and different people and things like that. Sure. And the Peninsula and South Bay together only had six. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so looking at the Theater Bay Area Awards, it mm. seems like it's heavily in favor of San of Francisco, the yeah. of the city. And I know that there's a lot more opportunity there. Obviously, there's so many theater companies that you can look at. 
But in regards to the system itself, I'm really curious to know just how it works because there's so many theater companies that are behind that mm -hmm. that don't get the same recognition right. for doing the same quality amount of theater. Because right. we can go and we can watch it and we can sit here and go, well, this is fantastic, but why is it not being looked at? And so there's a system in how things are nominated right. that I'm really curious to know about. Well, that's – and see, this – this one of the reasons we haven't talked more about it is I – I, I'm not huge on the idea of the awards in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, setting up that kind of a system always seems hard to me. Um, I think it does get weighted towards the city, um, right. those companies. And um, there's a more – there's an ongoing conversation, a thread that we have in the podcast talking about community, how you define community and what it means. Mm -hmm. And part of it, I think, is that you have to acknowledge there's regionalism. Yes. I'm Hamlet rehearsed down in the South Bay. That was a pain in the butt for us. The reason that we right. Skype rehearse for our pickup rehearsals is because otherwise the Milpitas people would have to come all the way up here. Mm -hmm. And yesterday traffic was horrible yeah. getting into the city. So to avoid that, they said, well, we'll just Skype. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, well, why don't you guys do one in the South Bay? You know, why don't you at least have a leg of the show in the South Bay? And he's mm -hmm. like, well, we have venues. And I'm like, well, I think it is, I think it is that there needs to be more attention given to those places. Mm -hmm. But I, I think if TVA, TVA, the awards is a relatively new thing. Yes. I think they're still fine-tuning it. Yes. You know, so to try and be fair to them, I will give them that. Absolutely. But these biases mm -hmm. are easy to point to and something that they need to address. Hopefully right. they will. And I also think, just and <clears throat> I'm sort of new into the whole TBA thing. We had Dale Albright on, and, you know, I think he tried to talk about, you know, it's his best, it's his only as good as the people who put into it and contribute exactly. to it. Right. But I also wonder, because you can't judge a show unless you go there, and I wonder just how many folks who represent TBA, who I guess are judges, actually go. Well, that's what he's saying. The adjudicators, yeah. you kind of are, I think you're kind of self-selecting as an adjudicator. It's, yeah. not, it's not hard to become an adjudicator. No, I myself am an adjudicator, mm -hmm. and, okay. it's, and it's basically filling out primary information in, mm -hmm. in regards to where you're actually wanting to travel to go see shows. Right. Um, it, it, it's understandable that people from the city have a hard time, you know, traveling to the South Bay based sure. on, you know, public transit and things. It's right. a lot easier for us to get access <coughs> to travel up to San Francisco and the East Bay. We have BART. Right. We can take her straight there. Right, right, um, right. But, yeah, it, it, it's not too hard to become one. Um, and the system itself in regards to how you rate a show yeah. is another one of those things because it's not a simple number between 1 through 10. They say that, mm. but people can also go off of decimals. Mm. So they can rate oh. something as like 7.3. They right. can do something as 5.7. Yeah. Um, which kind of leads me to believe if there if there aren't more in the north and the east bay than there are in the south, then how are they rating the shows? Who's right. actually yeah. the ones that are rating them? Now, if it's easy to be an adjudicator, isn't that a problem? I mean, shouldn't well, I they the problem is they need enough people to go to enough shows so that they okay. can have it. So they have yeah. to open the door up to that, and that part I'm okay with yeah. in the sense that it encourages people to go see shows. But I would hope they would say to an adjudicator. If you are limited in your scope, mm -hmm. then maybe they should have levels of adjudicators. That adjudicator right. who is going to go to two or three regions, yeah. maybe that adjudicator gets a little more, you know, and that runs into weirdness because, you know, if it's somebody who loves musicals and they go in and see mm -hmm. the right. show off, of right. off, of yeah. off Broadway right. and hate it, yeah. you know, 
So I don't know. That's I. Yeah. It just the whole thing is a can of worms. That yeah. I'm glad I used to be on the theater services committee. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that I was not part of that conversation because yeah. I would have hated to have been in the room and watched this. You know, this groundswell of energy about. I heard. I remember when it was first discussed, mm-hmm. and I remember being a voice going, "Yeah, I'm not. I'm not about that." Well, the people who were about it kept fine tuning it until they were able to create something, craft something mm-hmm. that was acceptable for enough right. people that they got it. But I just felt I would rather find some room for people to go see these other Yeah, audiences. and and it leads me to believe that if it if it is a matter of if, of region, um, then there should be a regional awards, like yeah. in my opinion, right. for each of the sections, and then have a bigger award show mm-hmm. that comes from the winners of each region, so right. that. Everyone at least is recognized. You yeah. have the South Bay Awards, you have the North Bay Awards, you have the East Bay Awards. Right. So it doesn't seem um, too heavily favored on one side towards the other. If right. you're trying to create a community, then you include everybody. And how you do that, in that my opinion, is making sense. sure that everyone is at least recognized. Of course, if you don't win, then you don't win. But right. at least in the South Bay, for us, we, we, don't, have, yeah. we don't have too many. Like the, pen- the Peninsula – Considering it's its own thing, the South Bay doesn't have too many. Right. Um, and so when you when you differentiate that, yeah. well, it's like, well, why not take the peninsula, move that to the South Bay, and just have an award yeah. ceremony for them, mm-hmm. yeah. so that you know all of San Francisco can have theirs, all of East Bay can have theirs. Right. Yeah. And from there, it's it's everybody. It's not you know mm-hmm. nobody's feeling left out. Yeah. It's everybody's at least getting recognized for the amount of work that they put in. You right. know, for year after year. Well, and not just that. The other side of it to me is I did a show up in Santa Rosa. And I met Dobbs Reed. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. He's such an amazing actor, wonderful actor. And I saw him here in Berkeley a couple of years ago in a show. And and I didn't know he was in the show until he walked onto the stage. And the feeling that went through me was mm-hmm. just like, oh, boy, I can't wait to see what yeah. he does with this. Mm-hmm. And he was wonderful, which I mean, it would be. Well, getting to appreciate those people. Means that you have to go out to the because he lives up there, so yep. he comes. Obviously, he comes down to do shows sometimes, right? But mostly, he's trying to pick up the shows up there in his region, right. which you know, which is what I would do. But if I heard there was a great show in the South Bay, I would hope I'd have enough curiosity to go. Well, maybe I need to get off my butt and go to the South Bay. Yep, yep, I agree. And the the way adjudication works is that um, you can activate a ballot for any show. So whatever show you want to. Um, rate, you can certainly do so. Then there are some companies that offer adjudicator tickets. So they're essentially comps. Um, But it's a very, very limited amount of theater companies. And most of them reside in the North Bay. Sure. Um, So if theater companies... Or in San Francisco. Yeah. yeah, If (laughs) if theater companies were more willing to open that up, Mm -hmm. I think that's another way to increase the, the Right. population of adjudicators that you get. Um, it's like, it's more of the the theater company going to these adjudicators and go, please come see us. Please right. come rate our show. Right. And we're not we're not going to make you pay for it because it's not about the money. It's, right. It's how you feel about the show. Right. That's what the whole point of Theater Bay Area is. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. how everybody mm-hmm. feels about the show. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So. It is the challenge of Theater Bay Area because it nailed, nailed it. It's who is participating mm-hmm. that shapes how things go. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the mission of the organization is to support theater yep. and yeah. to support the community yep. of theater. And I hope that uh, the TBA Awards, because some of the little criticism that I hear is also about diversity, you know, 
whether they recognize, you know, um, theater companies and theater shows uh, that, you know, embrace uh, diversity. So, yeah. so we'll see. Have you ever thought about, um, like, acting, like, going abroad, like New York or, or Hollywood yeah, or something like that? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it, it's always been a dream to at least just do one show in New York to say, you know, I've done mm-hmm. theater in New York. Yeah. yeah. Um, but just, you know, it, it, it fascinates um, between, you know, contemporary and classical. I consider myself to be a little more classically trained mm-hmm. um, just based off of the voice that I have yeah. um, and, and what I've studied in mm-hmm. school. Um, and so places like, you know, Utah and Oregon and, and Idaho and New Jersey, they have all of these Shakespeare festivals right. um, that, one, completely catch my eye more than a lot of other things. But just in regards to the opportunity that there is in the United States mm-hmm. and, and and not only exploring the theater scene that they have, but just the states in themselves uh-huh. um, has always been an intriguing thing for me to just sit here and go, if I want to continue this, of course I want to travel and go do uh-huh. theater in other places. Right. Mm-hmm. The Bay Area has been, has been lovely and there's so much opportunity here, but to get yeah, a breath of fresh air yeah. somewhere else and to meet you know, new people in, in different states mm-hmm. adds another new passion to what theater actually brings to people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, of course, all yeah. over the U.S., wherever it may be. Yeah. Sounds, sounds cool. Sounds cool. How about yourself? Oh, well, I mean, I, um, I thought about going back to New York. You know, I went to New York for five years, but mm-hmm. I think it was during a time – I mean, I'll, I'll just say, you know, New York could have sort of kicked my butt as far as uh, just yeah. money. And, and also, there's the thing of gentrification, which, uh, you know, we've talked about on the show beforehand, where it's really tough being uh, uh, a, a, an actor, a working actor, mm-hmm. and still have to pay your rent, yeah. right. especially if you're paying, I don't know, $2,000, $3,000 a month and, and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you deal with that? Do you deal with gentrification at all? I mean, or yeah, are you? It's, it's one of those things where when I go to an audition, um, a lot of the times it's usually not about the money. It's usually about the craft or the mm-hmm. role or the experience or the company, whatever it may be. Every now and then there's a time where I tend to look in an audition and go, quite frankly, it just doesn't pay enough. Right. Um, in, in whatever position I might be at, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, I've, I've paid rent. Um, or paying for other responsibilities and things, mm-hmm. um, just looking at just the commute. Yeah, on. yeah, exactly. And you know, a lot of community theaters don't pay enough to cover gas wherever right. you're coming from. Right. So that's another one of those things that you take into account for. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it, it's usually not about the money. It's it's I work and um, I'm able to set some aside for gas when I need to mm-hmm. to go or when, and if I need to take public transit, I'll take public transit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think I think every actor um, has has that sort of um, gentrification of every now and then you look at something and you go, quite frankly, it just doesn't it doesn't pay enough for what I what I actually need to do and what right. position I'm in. Yeah. And everybody tend to go through that. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Yeah. So we're hitting the one hour mark and you have to go, right? No, no. I'm oh, oh you're good? I'm yeah. <laughs> well, fantastic. But, I, awesome. now, but to get back to, so you asked what I think about venturing abroad. I'm a little different. You know, I, I'm very comfortable with where I am. And, you know, theater, we've talked about the community of the theater. It's And it's something that Dan, we had Dan um, Wilson. I have right. to think about Brian Wilson <laughs> of the Beach <laughs> Boys. But uh, uh, Dan Wilson had mentioned that, the comfort level means so much more than, I guess, you know, when you were young, you think about being a superstar and yep. I want to, you know, do Hollywood and this and that and the other. Mm-hmm. And I had those lofty uh, thoughts as well. But 
I think comfort means a lot more to me. You know, uh, I want to, you know, sort of settle down and I'm, and, and also uh, I'm getting more into writing. So I'm thinking more about producing or whatever. Have you thought about writing at all? Um, it's, it's been a thought. I don't know. I don't know if that's like a huge passion for me. I've always been curious to, to write ideas of, of plays and stories that I've had, but mm-hmm. I guess I've never really truly focused on if I actually want this to become a thing. Yeah. Um, I, I've of course written or written a couple of scenes and, and have had people do them, um, but I don't know. I guess if I were to put more thought into it, I would mm-hmm. have a better answer for you. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think, you know, uh, if, if, you know, because I, I really want to sort of dabble into playwriting and that, you know, if you do that, then there's less of a focus on traveling and doing other things or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's that. Let's get into uh, shout-outs. Well, um, so the first shout-out I, I want to toss out before I get to my birthdays mm-hmm. is this uh, Grade 9 movie. Um, and it's funny, I don't even remember how I found it, but um, every month we try to um, report on um, the Counting Actors um, project, mm-hmm. which just, you know, is trying to look at the gender parity in Bay Area theater. Mm-hmm. It's a self-reporting thing. If you're doing a show, you go to, I think it's on WordPress, um, you go to, um, or you can look it up on Facebook, I think. Well, we'll have a link. We'll have a link in the yeah. um, in, on Facebook. Created, yeah, Valerie Reed created it, and um, so it just keeps account. And I, more than one person, I post it because I, I think it's an important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to have the discussion, you have to first know what it is you're talking about. So these are the numbers. I yeah. thought that was great. Well, I thought it, and and in fact, I wanted to stop her and talk to her about it. At one point, we bumped into each other in Berkeley. And she was on her bike heading somewhere, so I thought, i got to get in touch with her about this. By the time I got home, I'd rethought it because my, my thought was, I wish there was something like this for people of color. Mm-hmm. And by the time I got home, I thought, you know what? She's already taken on this huge thing and manages it. That's enough. Somebody else should do this. Mm-hmm. Well, when I posted it, people had the same response online. Well, there should be one for people of color. Well, there is one for movies. Maybe somebody can find a way to switch it over to theater. It's called grademymovie.com. And the goal is to achieve gender and race parity in key cast and crew positions, and it's focused on film. But um, it's another one where it, this is one where you can look up a movie before you go mm-hmm. and see what grade they get, and it lists what the different grades yeah. are. And the higher grade is for greater diversity. Uh, diversity, but same thing with um, um, what's the the Bechdel test in movies? Um, are there how many women characters, prominent women in characters, are there? Do two women characters ever talk to each other? And not about men. And do they talk to each other and not talk about men? Yeah. Wow. Um, and so same thing for people of color. Are you just the, the colored sidekick? <laughs> right. Or, you know, or even the colored girlfriend or boyfriend, but you're not really prominent in the story and yeah. you don't deal with anybody else unless you're talking about that other character. Mm-hmm. So it's so that's out there. And awesome. Really, really. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll do a link for that. Um, birthday. Oh, and I do have a show. Because I don't, I'm tapped out. <laughs> uh, well, I want to make sure that I, um, I'm going to make an effort to get this together right after we do our podcast for the next week, so that people have a chance to get back to me. But all I do is I send out to people and I say, hey, let us know mm-hmm. um, what projects you've got coming up. Yeah. Or you know, if there's a dream project that you've always wanted to do at your birthday, 
Yeah. Giving yourself this birthday wish. Mm-hmm. So this week's people, uh, Jacob Russell is somebody I just met doing operas. I'm not sure if he had done much performing before that, but he got the bug. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stacy Lowe, she runs um, Bay Stage up in Northbrook, up uh, in the Solano area. Okay. Um, they're in Vallejo, um, and she does it with Jeff Lowe. Mm-hmm. It's funny. They're both last names are Lowe, but they, they're spelled differently. Yeah. Um, anyway, her birthday. Uh, Derek Much um, is an old alum of mine from mm-hmm. San Francisco State, and he's still very active in Bay Area Theater. Mm-hmm. Allison Wright is an actress here. Uh, Soren Oliver is a very well-known uh, actor in Bay Area Theater. Mm-hmm. He's been doing it for a long time. Rael Myrick Hodge, I don't think lives in the Bay Area anymore, but she's a great director. She was running the Brava Theater for a while. Uh, Jimmy Ashmore is another actor, local actor. And Stuart Evan Smith um, is an actor I worked with once who now is on the East Coast. And I see his stuff on Facebook, and he is still very active. And it's fun mm-hmm. to kind of see that. So happy birthday to you all. <coughs> if you've got projects that you want us to pump, <laughs> yeah. let us know. And also, you know, last week you had mentioned the name so quickly, and uh, it passed me by. Uh, Michael Capelli. Remember you yes. mentioned I forgot. I was on stage with him, of course, doing Richard Wright. Yeah, Richard Wright, yeah. Yeah, and he moved up to. He's in Connecticut. Yeah. And happily, I think they finally got married. He and Doug, I think yeah. they finally got married. Awesome. Um, but awesome. I, I see his stuff all the time, and yeah. he's happy. He's he's also he was an educator then. He's still an educator. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Michael Pelly. Yeah. What about you, Nick? Do you, um, I saw you going through your. Um, I was looking, and no birthdays, unfortunately. Yeah, um, of course, yours just passed, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, just want to, uh, Civil War Christmas, uh, we open uh, December, December 2nd. 2nd, yeah. Uh, we I think two, we have a preview. We have two previews. Yeah, uh, November, November 30th. Oh, so that's coming out. And November, that's right, two weeks. Yeah, we we hit tech on uh, Saturday. This, yeah. Or next week. I know yeah. I sound calm, but really, I'm... <laughs> It, hey, it, it'll all work out in the end. I think we're doing a real great job. And uh, so, yeah, so November the 30th, December the 1st are the previews, December the 2nd through the 17th. Mm-hmm. Also, if anybody is in the uh, Lafayette area, um, I believe it's on December 1st, um, the cast will be going out to Lafayette's uh, tree lighting ceremony. Yep. Um, and we'll be doing some Christmas carols for uh, the community. Yep, I'll be out there. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I will be out there as well. Yeah, so um, that'll be nice. Yeah, so if you're available December 1st, uh, come on down and hear some good oh, old Christmas awesome. carols and see some tree lighting. Yeah. yeah, it'll be fun. Really, a Civil War Christmas, I mean, it's wonderful for the whole family. I mean, you know, we have uh, young kids who are performing uh, as well as uh, Tom Riley we had on the show. And uh, it's a wonderful retelling of the nativity through the lens of the Civil War. And I think it's really, really relevant and very cool. The nativity, that's funny. So yeah. for me, uh, Hamlet is closing this weekend. They're yep. closing tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, tomorrow's sold out. There's a waiting list. But last night there were at least half a dozen empty seats, mm-hmm. and we were supposedly sold out. So yeah, you know um, the Arabian Shakespeare. Come out if you want company. to. Yeah. Monday, I am directing a short piece at Berkeley Rep for Playground. Awesome. They do the third Monday of the month a bunch Wonderful. of shorts, and I'm directing a short piece there. What's it, what's it about? Uh, oh, I can't talk about it, huh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I, well, I don't want to – because they're short pieces, it's hard to talk about them without – but it's a woman who is trying to deal with a ghost, and so she has a medium. And uh, Jed Pisario, a wonderful – Ah, actor, Jed. Yeah. Who's hooked up with uh, Melvin. Melvin yes. is – Yeah. They're, they're, I think they're still together. I, I, hope I'm I not, assume they are. Yeah. I would hope they are. Yeah. No, they make a fantastic couple. Great, great folks. I met mm-hmm. them through Bindle Stiff. Uh, but I will say that the play is written by Lauren Gorski. Cool. I, I didn't even know yeah. that. Yeah. 
also wants to throw out Theodore Rhino is doing uh, The Normal Heart. Uh, it opened on the 3rd, and it continues through the 25th at Theodore Rhino, therhino.org. Uh, their tagline is, we must love one another or die. Um, hidden Gender, Hidden Agenda uh, by Kate Bornstein, directed by Kieran Betrucci. I don't evaluate last name. Anyway, that'll be in Oakland um, November 24th and 25th, December 1st and 2nd. At, um, is there someplace we can get information? Variancefestival.weebly.com. Um, so it's, um, it's a part of the festival. And it explores the methods by which concepts of gender have been embedded into Western collective thought and the effectiveness upon gender-variant persons historically. Examining misinformation and sources from medicine to marketing, Bornstein picks away at the constructs that perpetuate gender behavior in an attempt to not just bend gender, but break it. Wow, awesome. Wow. And the last thing, This White Night by Chloe Moss. Uh, Anton's Well is doing that. Oh, that's right. Oh, and... Um, and uh, Shotgun. Shotgun. Shotgun's um, Black Rider mm-hmm. is opening this weekend. Awesome. Oh. Awesome. It's oh. either previewing or it's opening, but yeah, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're up and running. Nice. Right on. Okay. Nick, I hope you had a wonderful time. Yes. I, oh, my God. <laughs> and this is my first podcast being a part of. So, again, thank you guys yeah, so there much. Yeah, you go. This and awesome. see, well, when you put it on, you know, your parents can listen to you and tell your friends and all that stuff. You got it. <laughs> So here's my blurb. You can find the Yay on the Apple Podcast app on all iPhones and iPads. You can also find the Yay on iTunes. Just click on iTunes, click on Store. Don't worry, you won't have to buy anything. Use the search engine on the upper left-hand side and search for the Yay. You'll find us. You already know this because you're listening to this, but you can tell your friends. Uh, For Android users, download the SoundCloud app or just go on SoundCloud.com and search for the Yay. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook, and we will take it from there. And we've got to find a better sign-off. And we are out. (laughs) 